Some of you may have heard uh, my story about the first time I attended worship at an Anglican church. I grew up Baptist, not Anglican. It was the winter of my sophomore year of undergrad, and I rode with some friends to the College of DuPage, where Church of the Great Shepherd met. I rode with my friends because I did not have a car. We walked into the big auditorium. We found our seats. They were the little seats that folded, you know, auditorium seats. And as worship began, I was both fascinated and completely freaked out. Robes, sign of the cross, is this okay? Somehow I came back and came back and came back and here we are. I stayed at first primarily for the liturgy with its beautiful language and weekly confession and Eucharist. I loved my first Lent, a place to offer my depressive college angst to God in worship. The liturgy anchored me. It was a balm to my soul, my weary soul, and it often still is. Well, I worshiped at Great Shepherd for the rest of my time at Wheaton and loved it. God used it in my life. Imagine my surprise when I found out years later that this church that I loved had begun as a nasty church split. The leaders of that church had left another Anglican church primarily or partly because they disagreed with the ordination of women, partly because of the usual power dynamics that often lead to a split. They left great pain in their wake. And yet I found Jesus in that church. How do I hold together the blessing I experienced with my new knowledge of the hidden nastiness? Here at Redeemer, that's a question we're having to wrestle with as well, especially as it relates to healing. For many years, we understood ourselves to be a healing church, particularly for people who came here who'd been hurt at other churches. In fact, healing is still listed on our much-needing-to-be-updated website as one of our core pillars of identity. The events of the past couple of years have made us wonder about that. We've learned some were deeply wounded here instead of deeply healed. Some have been deeply wounded in the very process of addressing the hidden nastiness. How do we hold together the blessings we've experienced at Redeemer in the past, including real healing, with our new knowledge of the hidden nastiness? Are we still a healing church? Was it real? Last week, we talked about Jesus' power and how it's power that's good news, power we can trust. On this fifth Sunday after Epiphany, our scriptures bring us more good news about Jesus' power, that his glory is revealed to those who respond to him through his power to heal. Our scriptures have something to teach us about healing and God's glory in our past, our present, and our future. So first, as we consider our past, 
Our scriptures teach us to give glory to God for all the healing and blessings so many of us have received here. Many have come through Redeemer and truly experienced God's presence, God's healing, God's power, and deep and meaningful relationships with others. And all of those things are real. They count. They are real because of God and God alone. God heals. God blesses. God shows mercy. All glory and praise be to God. Look at Isaiah this morning, one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. Look how it celebrates God's character and how God's power is shown through healing and renewing and restoring. This is power we can trust. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Look at our psalm and how it praises God because he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. How God's power shows itself in lifting up the lowly, but casting the wicked to the ground. In our passage from Mark, Jesus has just cast out the demon in the synagogue that we talked about last week. And immediately he goes home with Simon, Peter, and Andrew, maybe for a Sabbath dinner. Peter's mother-in-law, as you read, is sick in bed, and they tell Jesus about it right away. Jesus goes to her, takes her hand, heals her, and she gets up and begins to wait on them. Hold on. Is this a case of, you're healed, now woman, go make me a sandwich? No. There is way more going on. Our translation, helped her up, is really raised her up. This is resurrection language. Timothy Gombus points out that in Mark, readers get the impression that each healing and exorcism is an instance of resurrection life breaking out, the kingdom of God being made visible. And our translation that says she began to wait on them could just as well be translated, she began to serve them. Serve. That same word that deacon comes from. The same word used for what the angels themselves offer Jesus in the wilderness. The same word that Jesus uses when he says, those who want to be great in God's kingdom must be servants of all. And when he says, the son of man came to serve, not be served. So this is not a verse about a woman's proper place in a household. This is a verse about the proper response to healing, gratitude, and devotion to Jesus. Peter's mother-in-law responds to Jesus as a disciple, and Jesus gets all the glory. So if you have received any healing, any blessing from Redeemer of any kind here, that's real, period. And God gets the glory. Thanks be to God for his abundance of mercy and healing and blessing. Second, as we look at our present, our scriptures teach us that we need healing and that we are powerless to heal ourselves. Ethan and I visited an AA group on Thursday night because we're exploring offering our space for an AA group to meet in. It was a fascinating experience. We got to hear truly amazing stories of struggle and transformation and persistence, 
People were grateful to be there, grateful to be alive, grateful to be free. They said, keep coming back. The testimonies that night were focused on the first step of AA, admitting powerlessness over alcohol. That's the first step. And I think they're on to something. The first step of healing, too, is admitting. We have a problem that we can't fix on our own. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people cannot DIY themselves back to life. All the people who come to Jesus for healing are desperate. We take our medical system so much for granted. I know I do. These folks are at the end of their rope. There's no ibuprofen or aspirin. Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and she can't get out of bed. She cannot come to Jesus. So Jesus goes to her. He takes her hand. He raises her up. After sundown, when the Sabbath is over, the town flocks to Jesus. Gombus writes that Mark gives the sense that Israel had been suffering under the oppression of demonic spirits and sickness for far too long. They know their unwellness, that there is nothing others can do for them. They have no other hope. Jesus, save us. I know that in this very room, there are people who are longing to heal and don't know what to do. People who feel stuck and at the end of their rope. And sometimes that's me. I'm confident as well there are others here or watching who think, no, I've got it. That was me for a very long time. Or others that are sure that they know just what to do if only we would listen to them. That's often me too. Lately, I've caught myself wearing myself out, trying to figure out how to help Redeemer heal. Maybe if we just do X, Y, Z, or work at this a little harder, or read this, or talk about this. And I catch myself wearing myself out, trying to figure out how to heal myself, too. Okay, I just need to rest more, somehow, with kids. Or I need to stop ruminating, or ruminate on this, or do this, or stop that, and then I'll be well, and there's just one problem. It doesn't work that way. I cannot heal us. I cannot heal me. And yes, there are things we can and will do to foster healing. I'm still doing my work, literally here and here. But it's easy to lose sight of this very simple fact that Jesus is the healer, not me. Accepting our own powerlessness to fix ourselves as hard as it is, it's actually a gift. For God's power is made perfect in our weakness. The faithful Christian life is not a life of ever-increasing strength and competency. It's fundamentally a life of increasing dependence. Dependence on God and surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in this spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, receiving this spirit. Jesus heals the crowd and then he goes out to the wilderness, not to mobilize an army like other Messiah figures did in the wilderness in that time period, but to return to the Father. I imagine that Jesus in his humanity was tempted at times to rely on his own strength. I mean, that's literally what the devil tempts him with in the wilderness, right? 
Jesus needed those times of retreat to center himself again and surrender to the Father's love, to choose radical dependence on the Father and the Spirit in him. I need healing. So do you. So do we. We are powerless to fix ourselves. And that is good news. Because Jesus is able. And when we are most aware of our need for Jesus, that's when he steps in with his mercy to the glory and praise of God. Third, as we look towards our future and wonder what will be, our scriptures teach us that God's will for us is healing beyond mere pain removal. Healing beyond mere pain removal. Healing is a tricky topic because all of us know people who've prayed for healing and seemingly not received it. And maybe that's you. It included Paul, too. He prayed over and over for whatever that thorn was to be removed from him. Whatever it was caused him great pain, but God did not remove it. Why? Why does Jesus respond with the disciples' urgent, everyone's looking for you, come back and do more healing? Instead, with, Let's go to the next town so I can proclaim there also, for that's why I've come. Does God just heal sporadically? Is it like a spark plug that's only firing sometimes? Is there such a thing as healing we can pray for and count on? The crowds long for pain relief from Jesus. Jesus, we're hurting. Jesus, we're oppressed. Jesus, we're hungry. Jesus, heal us. Jesus, feed us. Jesus has compassion on their suffering. But it is not just our suffering that needs healing. It is our very selves, our wills, our desires, the things that drive us underneath it all. And the crowds illustrate this in their response to Jesus. They're healed, but do they follow him? Their desires need healing, too. Jared Patrick Boyd, in his excellent book, it's new, Finding Freedom in Constraint, he writes this. If you've longed for inner healing and for the pain to go away, if you've prayed for it and cried out to God to meet you in that deepest place of suffering, I see you. I'm naming the reality that we often do not receive healing. But we do not learn the unfathomable riches of Christ. We do not learn that once we get healed. We learn the riches of God's love when we open ourselves up to the ongoing extravagance of God's love in the midst of our ongoing suffering. God's will for us is not healing in the abstract. It's not Get healed and then you'll find me. God's will for us is himself restoring that deep relationship with him that was ruptured in the fall. The deep abiding in the abundance of his love, which ultimately is that thing that we're desiring that heals us. We pray for healing. God always, always gives us 
himself. The difficult truth is that sometimes our pain is not something God just wants to take away because pain is a sign that something's not well. If you have a toothache, you can take some ibuprofen and feel better, but that doesn't mean you're healed. Pain can be an invitation to be curious about what's underneath that that truly needs healing. In our backyard, we have weed trees. Anybody else have weed trees, know what I'm talking about? They poke up every spring. There's all these interconnected things. They just come up and they start to take over. It's easy to clear the part above the surface. Get your whatever these things are called and just get them. If you clear the upper part, it gives the illusion of a well-tended garden. But there is a whole system of roots underneath, all connected, and the weed trees just keep popping up year after year after year. I can prune those things as much as I want. If the roots don't come out, it doesn't matter. Our lives are like that too. God does not want to just trim the surface of the weed trees in our lives. He wants to dig out the roots. This is true of systems too in our world, in our culture, in our families. And it's true in this local garden of Redeemer. There have been some nasty weed trees growing here. In the past couple of years, some of the roots have been exposed and some uprooted. It's nasty, it's messy, it's painful, and it is actually part of the work of healing God is doing in our midst. Jesus' ministry of healing, proclaiming, driving out demons is all part of that work of digging out weed trees, the arrival of the kingdom that drives out the darkness. God's been at work here digging it up. Things like abuse, which truly is demonic in the way it degrades and dehumanizes all it touches, including the person who abuses. God won't stand for it. He's not interested in the illusion of a well-tended garden. He will yank up the weed trees by the roots, and this is ultimately for his glory and our good. But it doesn't feel like it right now. The garden doesn't look the same. There are holes in the ground. We remember where those trees were. We might feel there used to be more shade. We're tired of feeling all pulled up, and we miss the garden we thought we had. God is a good gardener. Amen. He doesn't want us to be content with weed trees. And he will not leave his precious garden barren. God has more healing in store for us, not less. He won't share his glory with another. He won't grow tired or faint, though God knows we do. He is the everlasting God. He takes pleasure in those who fear him in every generation, to those who await his gracious favor. He came to seek and to save what was lost, including us. God is a good gardener. 
What's our job in cooperating with his glorious work of healing as he mends and tends this garden that he so loves? Well, I have three ideas, three points, three ideas. First, we practice gratitude for his blessings and his goodness in the past and the present. We name what's real. The good is real. We surrender to our own powerlessness to fix what was broken, and we wait upon the Lord. And we do the work of looking for the weed trees that our pain is pointing to. And we ask God to root them out, because we all have them, weed trees in our lives. Church tradition gives names to them, like greed, pride, lust, sloth. We confess our weed trees to God and to one another, and we ask for forgiveness. One of my besetting weed trees is perfectionism. This deep-seated belief that I have to be perfect in order to receive love. And I never am. So I work harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder to wear myself out. Father, forgive me. Now the desire underneath my perfectionism, that desire to receive love is good. That's God-given. The more I come to grips with the power that that weed tree of perfectionism has in my life and how it is bankrupt to truly meet that need, the more open I am to receiving the love that actually heals, the love I actually need from the Father who loves me, weed trees and all, and the more the roots of that weed tree loosen in my life. That's the way it is with weed trees. As we surrender to God's work of uprooting them, it's painful. More painful than any of us would choose if we had our way. But it leads to goodness and healing and love and joy. More of all of that, not less. All to the glory and praise of God. Let us pray. O oh, Father, our good gardener, we praise you for the ways you've blessed us and others through this community. We confess to you our longing for healing and our powerlessness to heal ourselves. We confess to you the weed trees, those we see and those we don't. Have mercy on us and forgive us. Heal us, O Lord, to the glory and praise of your name. All honor, glory, praise, goodness, thanks be to you, O Lord. Jesus, the healer, creator of all, may your love for us be strong, strong, strong today in the power of the Holy Spirit. In that name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.